0: Many thanks to our choir for sharing with us that theme from King David's life, uh, how he had to rearrange a few things and ask God to create in him a new heart. Do you remember the story of the man who fell asleep in church? Um, <laughs> we haven't lost anybody yet that I can see, but I'm looking around a little bit. Uh, There was this gentleman, he was well known for falling asleep in church, uh, particularly on Sunday nights. They were still having Sunday night services at this church where he went. And um, on this particular Sunday night, he'd already fallen asleep. They'd lost him pretty early on, and the preacher had gotten into his sermon. And um, the power went off. Now, I don't know if you've been in a sanctuary before like this one where all the lights are off. I mean, there's nothing, no exit signs, anything. But let me tell you, I've been in here before. It's it's dark. In fact, you just can't see a glimmer of light anywhere uh, when the power goes out. But the preacher, knowing that as people tried to, if they tried to, you know, get out of the building in a hurry or something like that, you know, somebody would fall, get hurt, run into something, and, you know, they just didn't want something like that to happen. And so uh, he said, look, just kind of stay where you are. I'm sure that the power will come back on in a few minutes. I'll just keep preaching. I'm not preaching from notes tonight, so I can just, you know, continue with my sermon. You guys hang where you are. Well, about halfway through the sermon, the man woke up. And of course, he had no idea uh, that the power had gone out. All he knew is that he couldn't see a thing. We, he, you know, it concerned him. And so he reached over and, and just to check, and there was his daughter. And then he reached over here, uh, patted his wife on the leg. She was there, no problem there. She patted his hand, you know, and and it just was getting all over him. He he's got more anxious, more tense, and by the minute and finally he just couldn't stand it anymore he, just, he stood up and said I'm blind I'm blind my god I'm blind blindness can be a real problem we know that as Jennifer was asking the children have you ever thought about being blind what it must be like you know and they they were saying oh gosh it'd be terrible we were talking earlier as she was uh, visiting with them during the Lenten study they were sharing with me about Helen Keller and Annie Sullivan, things that they had learned about in school. I mean, not having your uh, sight's a terrible thing. Here in John's ninth chapter, we get a story about a man born blind, had never had his sight. And, uh, as he, as Jesus is walking along, he comes across this man. Let's hear the story from John's ninth chapter. I'll invite you to stand for this part of the reading. We'll get a little bit more of it later on. But from the first seven verses of chapter 9, hear the word of God as it comes to us through the scriptures. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Strange as it seems... Curing with spit was not uncommon during Jesus' day. Of course, Jesus was a miracle worker, but there were others that were making mud and trying to do the same sort of thing that Jesus did. It wasn't that uncommon. Of course, in the Scripture, in some versions, we get the more formal word for spit, which is spittle. But uh, just for our case, we know what it is. We know how Jesus used it. The pool of Siloam, was located uh, on the east side of the old town, old city of Jerusalem, just uh, as the receiving point for the water from Hezekiah's tunnel. Back when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, the folks in Jerusalem were really concerned that the Assyrians were just going to come on down south and invade that city. They wanted to protect themselves and provide water for themselves... So Hezekiah commissioned for this tunnel to be built from the spring of Gihon into the city. They started on both ends and met in the middle within three feet of each other, which is not, you know, that's a pretty amazing thing for first century engineers uh, or earlier than that. Old Testament era engineers coming within that close to each other from a quarter of a mile away. But the water from the spring is brought into the city, and it ends up at the pool of Siloam, which is where Jesus sends the man to wash. Beautiful spring. You can still walk through the Hezekiah's tunnel with the water water flowing through it. Still go to the pool of Siloam even to this day. But the disciples ask an important question. They say, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. It was an important theological question. Who did it? What caused this? You see, in first century Judaism, physical calamity was associated with spiritual calamity. The disciples wanted to know, who messed up? What's the problem here? Who did something wrong that caused this man to be blind? We know, after all, that you reap. What you sow. But Jesus throws in a strange theological twist. He says that it is so that God might be glorified. This seems to often be John's intent when he shares with us the miracle stories of Jesus. Things happen, sure, because people are in need. Things happen because Jesus is a compassionate Jesus. But John tells us that these things happen happened because God's glory is to be revealed. Whenever there's a healing that takes place. When he goes to, to Lazarus's tomb to turn him loose, it's so that God might be glorified. In fact, do you remember that Jesus delays his trip uh, when he finds out that Lazarus is sick? He just hangs around for a couple of other days. A couple of other things happen, and then he makes his way to where Lazarus has already died, his sisters greet him on the road and say, if you'd only been here. But he says, God's glory is yet to be revealed because your brother will live. John uses these stories to convey who God is and the great glory of God. But now is Jesus trying to say that this blind person or every blind person is born this way so that God might be glorified? I don't think so. But on this particular day, in this man's life, in this healing, in his healing, God will be glorified. But that can happen in so many ways. That can happen when any person suffers. Uh, Perhaps you know of someone who has had a physical calamity or who's had a catastrophe just descend upon their life. Yet, even in the midst of it, they live triumphantly, are able to carry on triumphantly because they know that he still lives, and that they still live, and that God has made a tremendous change in their lives so that God may be glorified. There are times even when people have chosen death as Christian martyrs. Think of the early church, which was persecuted so. Many died in the Colosseum. Many were crucified, not just Jesus. And they chose to to die triumphantly, standing for their faith, even though they knew it would cost their lives. They wanted that God should be glorified even in their death. You know, uh, we have a group that goes out from this church to Honduras every year. And they spend themselves so that God might be glorified. They go into very rural places in Honduras they, they live okay in the little hotel where they, are, can I get an amen, you know, y'all you know, you know, survive pretty well on that. And you get fed pretty well and everything. But, but they go into some of the places that are farthest from the farthest Many of them just simply gotten to by horse and buggy practically. But they bring good water to these local communities. They bring medical treatment. They bring, uh, they, they build homes. They help add on to schools. They do vacation Bible schools. So many things that they do. And it's not because they're better than anybody else. It's not because they want everybody to know that St. Matthew's is a great church, though it is. It's not that they want to be seen great as Americans, the benefactors of the world. They go and they spend themselves because they want God to be glorified. God is doing great things in their lives. And they want to share that so that God may be glorified. In the day of the early church, the martyrs died. And even in their deaths, they would seek to give God praise. To spend yourself on behalf of others can bring glory to God. While in the Synoptic Gospels, healing shows the compassion of Jesus, here John would lead us to give God glory by spending ourselves, even through pain, even through death. Now, is that the end of the lesson? Well, no. It's not, because the story goes on. Now, we haven't read these verses, but I'm just going to kind of give you some more of the story, and then we'll read this other passage to kind of finish up. It's not the end of the story. A church meeting breaks out. Or maybe you might call it, more likely, a town hall meeting, because everybody seems to have something to say. It starts with the neighbors, and then the Scripture says, and then... Others, some have something to say, and then others have something to say, and then they have something to say. And the former blind man just says, well, here's what happened. I was blind. Jesus, Jesus sees me. He makes, takes the spit and the dirt, and he makes the mud, puts it on my eyes, tells me to go wash. I go wash, and now I can see. So they're arguing amongst themselves. They drag him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say, well, how can this be? And the man just says, well, here's what happened. And the Jesus and the mud and the pool and I can see. The church meeting breaks out with name calling. Rule breaker, the Pharisees say. He doesn't observe the Sabbath. He's a sinner. And others say, well, if he's a sinner, how could he do something like this? Rule breaker, they say. How could he do something like this if he's a sinner? It goes back and forth. So then the church fight comes out. Some are calling him a rule breaker, but others say, how could a sinner do this? And then the scripture says, and they were divided. But then maybe it was the wise old Pharisee turns to the man and says, what do you say about it? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man just says, well, it was Jesus. And he made mud, and he put it on my eyes and told me to wash. And now I can see And a lot of them still don't believe it. They call in his parents, and his parents don't want to get thrown out of the synagogue because they've been warned that anybody who's professing Jesus as the Messiah is going to get thrown out of the synagogue, and they don't want that. And you know what they say? They say, he's plenty old enough. Just ask him. (laughs) And so what does he say? He says, Jesus, mud, pool of Siloam, and now I can see. And so the Pharisees, they still don't get it. They still don't get it. They say, what happened here? He said, I told you already. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? And then their answer is something intelligent like, ah. There's a real stumbling block here, you see. It happened on the Sabbath. And there's to be no work on the Sabbath. Even healing, no healing on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are typical of the people in every generation who condemn anyone else whose idea of religion is different from theirs. But there the man stands. He can see. These people have known him for years, but they cannot accept what has taken place. But the man won't let go because he knows what Jesus has done in his life and nothing can change that. He just stands there and says, well, here's what happened. Jesus is always doing things which seem to the unbeliever to be far too good and far too wonderful to really be true. So that we get the last few verses. They're in your sermon notes if you want to follow. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out, out from the synagogue. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. A man once blind takes his stand saying, I'm bound to believe in him. I'm bound to take my stand with him because of all that he has done for me. And this man might not be able to write a theological paper about Jesus, but he sure can share about what Jesus has done in his life. And it was an argument that the Pharisees couldn't answer. But what about us? What about us? What is Jesus doing in our lives? So many of us got up this morning and, you know, we got ready for church just like we always do. We went to Sunday school just like we always do. We came in here, we sat down in a pew, the same pew, many of just like we always do. <laughs> and we expect to get just about the same that we always got. And we really didn't expect God to show up a whole lot. But friends, when you woke up this morning and you put your feet to the floor, Give God the glory because you got a whole new day to start with. When you went outside and you felt the sun on your face because it was a bright, sunny day, and you saw that the sun had come up all over again, give God glory because you've gotten another chance. So many times we fail to see just the little things, the smile that greeted you at the door this morning, or the cup of coffee that you enjoyed with your family or before your family. (laughs) or the newspaper that you pulled out, or the Bible that you opened up to take a look at a scripture passage this morning. Give God the glory in those things. You know, we feel like we just don't have anything to give thanks over, but even in the little things, realize that God is trying to work a great work in your life, and he's trying to bring healing in your life, and he's trying to bring wholeness in your life, and he's trying to remove the blindness in your life, so give God glory. Because he can do it, and he will do it, just like he did for this man. The healing has made it clear. Light comes to those who recognize that life is blindness without Christ. And darkness comes to those who without Christ claim to see. We must seek to see as God sees. Because God's vision is different from ours. As we heard from the Samuel passage, we look on the outside, but God looks on the inside. We see only brokenness, but God sees the possibilities of love. There's perhaps no better, um, no clearer expression of this than in the experience of John Newton. John Newton uh, started his adult life as a seaman, uh, working in the British Merchant Marine, and uh, as part of the British Navy at one point, eventually landing in the slave trade on ships back and forth between England and West Africa. And yes, he carried on that trade just as anyone else did, and it was just as brutal as you might imagine. But as part of all of that, at one point, he became a captive himself, and he became ill, and in the midst of that, he, he was convicted and experienced a conversion-type experience, but he said it really didn't mature and come to full fruition until a number of years later when he decided that the slave trade was wrong, he, and he needed to put it aside, and he wrote a paper about that, but he also wrote a hymn. Because after experiencing a stroke, late in his life, he became blind. And he wrote what is perhaps the most treasured hymn at work in the church. You know it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That's true for all of us. I wear glasses most of the time, and I think that most of the time they help me see pretty good, but sometimes I'm fooling myself because even when my eyes see clearly, I realize that I can be just as blind as anybody else we receive wondrous love. A wondrous love that gives us vision. That gives us a way to see that God, how God sees. To see very clearly what life is about. What's in the heart of people. And what's in our own heart. Won't you let him cure your blindness today?